Moment of Truth with Pastor Matt Shackelford is a ministry of Central Church in Collierville, Tennessee. Please visit us online at centralchurch.com. What does it take for guilty man to be made right with holy God? The Bible tells us all have sinned. We've all broken God's law and we all stand guilty. And God says that the wages of our sin is death. And you can't earn salvation. You can't bribe God with good works. So what do we do? This is the truth. There's only one way to be made right with God and it's a free gift. And the moment that you repent, the moment you place your faith that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins, God will make you right with him. He will wash you. He will make you white as snow. So moment of truth today, what will you do with Jesus? Have you ever felt temptation to give up when life gets hard? In today's teaching, Pastor Matt continues his series on 2 Timothy called, It's Always Too Soon to Quit. As he looks in this short letter, Paul writes at the end of his life to encourage young Timothy to finish strong. This week, Pastor Matt continues to look at the three types of relationships we are each encouraged to seek out. Let's turn to 2 Timothy and listen in now for your moment of truth. Sometimes as I read the Bible, I'm amazed at what I see. Other times I'm amazed at what I don't see. Look at verse 5 again. Did you see that? In verse 5, he mentions by name his grandmother and his mother. Did you notice what's missing though? His, that's right. His father. My question is, where's Timothy's dad? What happened to Timothy's dad? Where is his spiritual father to lead him and to guide him? I want to be that towards my son. I love late at night just sitting up with Caleb and just talking about his future and his life. And son, how are you doing? How's your heart doing? I love entering into his world. Where's Timothy's dad? Well, we find out in the book of Acts, in Acts 16, that Timothy's father was actually an unbelieving Gentile. His father was not a believer. In fact, Paul met his mother and his grandmother, and they became believers along with Timothy, but the dad did not become a believer. It was a mixed marriage. Some of you know the difficulty of what that's like. Timothy had no father. He had no spiritual encourager in his life to say, son, pursue Jesus. Pursue this route in life. It will go well for you if you'll do this. You'll not be disappointed. He didn't have that. Where's my dad? Some of you might be saying that this morning. Where's my dad? Maybe you're not talking to your dad. Maybe you don't know where your dad is at. Maybe your father has gone on to be with the Lord. Maybe your father has just died. Maybe your father was distant and it was cold and, and you would say with Timothy, where's my dad? Look at verse two. 
to Timothy, my beloved child. There's his dad. There's Timothy's dad. It's right there. It's the Apostle Paul. Timothy was sort of spiritually adopted uh, by the Apostle Paul. Paul took him on the second missionary journey, took him under his wing, got into his life. My beloved child, that's how this letter starts. And, And that's really the theme of these first six verses. How is it on week one that you and I can keep going by the grace of God? How is it that God keeps us fueled with endurance to keep going through a difficult life? It's by a father's voice. It's a father's relationship. And that's what we see in these first six verses. We're going to see what that looks like. A father's relationship, let me just say this. It's one of the most powerful relationships anyone can have. There's no influence like a father's influence. I was reminded that when I read a book not, not long ago, and it talked about just a father's role. And this is theologically, let's do some theology. Theologically, this is a position so powerful and so important that God gives his own title to that position. Father. Father. Dads, your role matters. It's important. Your role matters. In fact, it matters so much, and, and we even see that in sociologists today. And, and in fact, in New York, a team sent a, a team of, uh, or a, there was a team sent out of sociologists to calculate the father's influence on the next generation. Listen to this report. They started in the 18th century with two men that lived at the same time. One of them was Max Jukes. He was a godless man. And his wife was an atheist. He he did not have a relationship to the Lord, lived sort of a godless life. The other was Jonathan Edwards. And and their lineage, their legacy was was powerful. Max Jukes, he was an unbeliever. They found 1,200 descendants. Listen to the list of what they found. They found 440 lives of outright debauchery. They found 310 paupers and vagrants. They found 190 public prostitutes. They found 130 convicted criminals. They found 100 alcoholics. They found 60 thieves. They found 55 victims of impurity. And they found seven murderers. That's quite a legacy. Listen to Jonathan Edwards, godly man. His wife, Sarah, also a godly woman. Great couple of faith. President of Princeton College. He took part in the first great awakening Listen to what they found. 300 pastors, missionaries, theological professors, 120 college professors, 110 lawyers, 60 physicians, 60 authors, 30 judges, 14 university presidents, three United States congressmen, and a vice president of the United States of America. That's quite a difference. You cannot... Imagine the influence that a father has on a son. Sum up the whole sermon this morning. How is it that you and I keep going? The first thing we see in the first six verses, it's through a father's influence. And with the time we have left, I want to just show you three very simple things about a father's influence and the kind of relationship to look for that would encourage you to keep going and the kind of relationship to be for someone else. Let's look at it together. Three points in your handout. Number one, what do we look for in this kind of relationship? First of all, we need to seek out God-centered relationships. God-centered 
relationships. How is it that Paul had the ability to tell someone to come and die for the gospel? How do you gain that kind of influence in someone's life to the point where you could say, come die with me? Paul didn't base this relationship on himself. He based this relationship on something far greater than himself, namely on God. He put all the focus back on God, and we see that in the first few verses. You build your relationship, this mentoring, encouraging relationship on the foundation of God. Paul doesn't make himself the center of Timothy's world. That's destined to fail. Or or when you die to go on and be with the Lord, that will cause the person who's trusting in you to give up. He puts it all on God. Look at, look at the first 14 verses. We see God mentioned 12 times in 14 verses. Five times he mentions God. Six times he mentions Christ Jesus. And at the end, he mentions the Holy Spirit, the triune God. Verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. He reminds Timothy that all his authority comes from God. He's an apostle. This is someone who wrote scripture. This is someone directly commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul points Timothy to someone outside of himself, someone greater than himself. That's the kind of relationship that will keep you going. It's if you have someone pointing you back to God, God uses his people to encourage his people to back to God, to endure in God. Let me say it again. God encourage, uses his people to encourage his people back to God. It's about God. He reminds him of God's gift of eternal life, that in the midst of all his trouble, he comes along Timothy who's struggling, hobbling along, and he says, God has gifted us eternal life. He says, look, I know it's hard, but God has given us the gift of eternal life. He's given us heaven The heart of these father-son relationships is directing our eyes back to the triune God. Timothy, these trials, brother, listen to me. These trials, I know they're hard, but listen, I just want to point your eyes back to the promises of God. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. All that God has for us in heaven, keep thinking about that, not your trials. True friends are the friends who point us back to God. That's what we need to be for each other. That's the tool God uses to keep us going. And by the way, men who are focused like that, men who have that voice speaking in their life, women who have that voice speaking in their life, they become dangerous, resilient, bold. They don't quit. In fact, I'm reminded of the book of Acts, that scene in Acts 4 when, do you remember the Sanhedrin? They come to the disciples and they say, you better stop preaching in the name of Jesus. If you don't stop preaching, we're gonna do bad stuff to you. And the disciples are kind of like, listen, are we, <laughs> are we gonna obey God or man? We, we, we can't help but preach in the name of Jesus. We're not gonna stop preaching. Well, if you don't stop preaching, we're gonna do bad stuff. We're gonna take all your possessions. And you know, their response is, well, we've already given our possessions away. This is, this is Acts 4. We did that back in Acts 2, right? Well, if you don't stop preaching, we're going to do something else. We'll uh, put you in jail. Like you did with Peter. The angel opened the jail doors. That didn't work too well. If you don't stop preaching, we're going to kill you. Like Jesus. 
who rose from the dead on the third day, the one who sent us, the one who commissioned us, Someone with that voice, that unstoppable counsel, that unstoppable voice in your life makes dangerous men for the gospel. Powerful men, men, women who will not give up. We need that eternal perspective. We need that eternal thought, someone speaking it into our life, people who finish. So I just want to ask you, do you have that Paul-Timothy relationship Do you have a man of God speaking to your life? Do you have a woman of God, an older woman in the faith, maybe ladies speaking into your life? Do you have someone that you're doing that for? Someone who's pointing you back to God. Someone who's coming alongside you in your trial to say, look, I know you have cancer. I know you have sickness. I know that you're going through a difficult trial, but I want to point your eyes back to heaven. You've been given heaven in Christ Jesus, so keep running. Life is short. Keep enduring. Keep running hard. Don't give up. Man of God, be encouraged. Woman of God, be encouraged. Don't give up. Do you have a voice like that? You and I need that if we're going to keep going, if we're going to, be, uh, in, if we're going to have endurance in this race. Amen. Second, number two, we need to not only seek out relationships that are God-centered, we need to seek out relationships that are praying. In verses two and three, the, the letter begins with a prayer. Did you notice that? He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now these are, this is kind of a common introduction. It's common in Paul's letters, grace and peace, but there's actually an extra word here. It's the word mercy. This is a bit more unusual. It's one word that's different, one word off, and I think that this is just a personal word to Timothy. Timothy, I know you're going through some very difficult things. I'm praying God's mercy over you. I'm praying grace, I'm praying peace, but I'm praying mercy over you. And I think it shows that Timothy was considering quitting and he needs the mercy of God. Don't we need someone doing that in our lives? Don't we need someone lifting us up like that day by day? Notice also in verse three, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Now this is fascinating, that word constantly in the Greek. It is a, uh, well, it's a very powerful word. It has a lot of image connected with you. It's a word used of someone with a hacking cough. Have you ever known someone who they're either coughing or they're about to cough? Some of you here this morning, maybe. I'm telling you, I, I, moved, I moved from Ohio uh, back to the South, and it was like all my allergies came back, and it was like they all got together and said, he's back. You know, it was just gross stuff going on, and I had to start taking an allergy pill, like, immediately. And uh, I started having that cough again, where I'm just coughing all the time. Some of you know what that's like. That's the word here that Paul uses for someone who's praying. It's someone who's praying, or right on the edge of praying, and always sending up arrow prayers for their prayer partner. I want to encourage you today that someone with that kind of relationship could be very powerful to you. It could be the means of strength that God gives to you to keep you going. When I was at Dallas Seminary, I had Professor Howard Hendricks, who is legendary at at Dallas. We called him Prof. Hendricks. He's gone on to be with the Lord. I love that man. In class, he shared an amazing story. An evangelical leader 
sent his sons to school at Dallas to be trained for the gospel. And Prof. Hendricks heard they were there. He pulled them into his, his office, and he said, boys, I, I just want to ask you, what do you remember about your dad? What are some of the things that come to your mind when you think about your dad? And those two boys got together, and they thought about it. One of them said this. One of them said, the thing I love about my dad is when we were little, on Friday nights, he would push all the furniture out of the living room, and we would have world championship wrestling, all right? And he would, he would just wrestle us until we couldn't breathe anymore, and uh, I loved that about dad. It's one of my fondest memories about my father. The other one got a little bit more serious, and he said, the thing I remember about my dad is that I had a paper route at 5 a.m. And I would get up at 5 a.m. to go do that paper route and his door would be cracked and there would be a light on in the room. And I heard my name. And dad was praying for me at five o'clock in the morning every time I did that paper route. That was so powerful to change the course of my life, to know I had a praying father. And then in a very Prof. Hendricks sort of way, he would look up at the class telling that story and he'd say, what are your children going to remember you for? That piercing look, what, what will you be remembered for? Relationships that keep us going are relationships that are founded in prayer. Every one of you needs a Paul. Every one of you needs a Timothy. Who are you praying for and who is praying for you? Last point and we're done. We need to seek God-centered relationships. You cannot bid a man to give his life for something if it's based on the foundation of another man. We need something greater, namely God. We need to seek relationships founded in prayer. That's a great source of strength to the people of God. I can't tell you how it has changed me to know some of you have prayed for me and my wife, Ashley, over the past three years. Lastly, we need to seek relationships that encourage, encouraging relationships. Paul was an encourager. Paul came alongside Timothy. He obviously wrote letters to him. Paul made it his life's goal to encourage this young man in the gospel. He made this young man part of his life. He mentions his tears in verse 4. I have no idea what the tears were about. Maybe it was some circumstance in Timothy's life. Maybe it was he felt like a failure. Uh, maybe it was just the difficult scenario he was at in Ephesus, and he, he wept, and Paul is remembering Timothy's hard days. And, and for Paul, things have gotten very focused. Facing death does that, doesn't it? He remembers his son. He may be finishing his race, but he's not finished with Timothy. So Paul encourages him. And he points him back to his faith in verse 5. Your sincere faith. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you. He's saying, Timothy, you're the real deal. God doesn't have any grandchildren. And you're truly a son of God. And he says, you're so gifted. This is just straight encouragement. Look at verse 6. You're so gifted. 
I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This is Paul saying, Timothy, I believe in you. I imagine this moment to be so intense, almost like Paul wants to take him by the collar of his shirt and say, come on, young man, you can do this. I know you. I was there when you were saved. I was there when you got your gift. You're gifted for this. You're saved for this. You can do this. So you endure, young man. Be encouraged, man of God. Keep going. And God used that father-son relationship to keep this young man going. And he'll use the relationships that you develop in this place as far as they point you back to God and as far as they're praying for you and as as far as they're they're committed to, to encouraging you, he'll use those relationships to keep you going. Who are you gonna do that for today? It's my only application. Here's my application. Everyone needs a Paul. Everyone needs a Timothy. Who are you going to do these things for today? And who is doing them for you? As we close, I I had some fun pictures I wanted to put up. Uh, A while back, I was taking a class at Midwestern, and I I got to visit the Spurgeon Library. Now, I'm a bit of a Spurgeon fan. I like to sort of slip him into every sermon if I can can make it happen. But I was at the, the Spurgeon Library, and it was a phenomenal time. They have so many, they have half of his library in one location right there. A couple of items moved me just emotionally. They had his preaching rail that he preached from, from Metropolitan uh, Church there in London. I don't know how they got their hands on it, but it's there in Kansas City. You can go see it, the rail that he preached from. This one really moved me. They had his desk, the desk where he developed so many of his sermons. Now, this was amazing. The, uh, The tour guide explained it like this. As As he would be up late at night on a Saturday night, he would be writing out his sermons, and he he sort of waited till the last minute. Not a good plan, by the way. I won't be doing that. I would be losing my mind, I think. But he waited till the last minute to do his sermons, and routinely, Susanna Spurgeon would come in and find him slumped over the desk in tears and just saying, I can't do it. I can't keep going. I've got nothing left in the tank he was just struggled with depression, struggled with anxiety. He had a lot of personal fear inside of him. And she'd find him just, just humped over the, the desk and, and just crying. And, and the story goes that Susanna would come and she would literally physically take him, lift him up, place him in the chair and say, you can do this. You can keep going. By God's grace, he will give you what you need. He will give you the words to say, you can do this. I'll get back to work. And it was neat. The library had as its central exhibit this massive painting. I'll put it up on the screen here. Massive painting at the back of the library, the centerpiece of the whole library. It had a painting of Spurgeon. And this is not the original. Actually, it was commissioned. Uh, Susanna was was not originally there, but because she played such an important role in his life, they paid an artist to paint her in to show the influence that she had on her husband. That's powerful to me. God uses his people to keep his people going. And that's God's word for us today as we think about what it takes to finish. It's too soon to quit. It's always too soon to quit. 
And one of the, the means of God's grace that keeps us going is that we would be in community together, that we would encourage one another, that we would pray for one another, that we'd point each other back to something greater than ourselves, back to God. We trust that today's message has been a challenge and an encouragement to you. Jesus tells us that truth always demands a response, so he calls us to be doers of his word, not hearers only. So this is your moment of truth. How is God calling you to respond? If you would like to watch or listen to this message, please visit online at centralchurch.com. We'd also love to worship with you online. Join us at 9.30 or 11 a.m. every Sunday as we stream our services on Facebook or through our website. If you would like to donate to support this program and God's Word being sent out, please mail a gift or you can call us at 866-TRUTH-TN and someone will be standing by to receive your credit card donation. We are located at 2005 Winchester Boulevard in Collierville, Tennessee. We can't wait to explore God's truths with you next week. Hi, Pastor Matt here from Moment of Truth. This year we're having an online service where you can interact and get to know some of the people of God, even amidst the things that are happening in this world with the coronavirus. And I wanna invite you to join me every Sunday at 9.30 and 11 a.m. centralchurch.com backslash live. That's our live stream, we hope to see you there. Moment of Truth is sponsored by Central Church.